Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes, because this mascara is specially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Lux mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Everyone, welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, another big moment is happening on Days. Uh, this will not be news to some web-savvy folks since it was spoiled months ago, but Abigail is the victim of a murder that head writer Ron Carlovati teased in our summer preview issue. I think it goes without saying it's a bold step to kill off a legacy character. Ron is well aware of this, and he said he and his team put a lot of thought into what to do with Abigail, and basically, it boiled down to Marcy not wanting to commit to a long-term deal and her predecessor in the role, Kate Nancy, also not wanting to sign on for multiple years. And they didn't want to recast again or leave Chad in limbo. So this was the path that they chose. So he stressed that they did not do this lightly. I mean, I think we all remember the debacle of killing off Will only to resurrect him a couple of years later. And Ron did point out that Death may not be permanent in Salem, so that's always an option, but they are in the moment treating this one as though it is. I am, I'm, you know, torn about this move. As you said, it's a bold step. You know, those of us who are old school Jack and Jennifer fans remember Abigail as a squishy little newborn. We remember her little baby self on the cover of Soap Opera Digest with her on-screen parents, Matthew Ashford and Melissa Reeves. And of course, over the years, Abigail has emerged as a pivotal player herself on the Salem scene, most notably in her pairing with Chad. So it's, it's just gutting to think of this character's life ending in such a brutal way. But I am at the same time, like willing to keep an open mind about the story avenues this opens up for a grieving Chad and so on. Uh, I mean, I do understand the, the bind the writers were in with Marcy and Kate, but I think we will see a big reaction from viewers. And I can only imagine the number of hankies we will have to have ready as this plays out. And uh, Marcy, is, is not the only actor exiting days. Uh, in the new issue, we also have an exit interview with Lucas Adams, whose trip leaves town. Yeah, I have to say, I was really disappointed about Trip. I mean, I was disappointed the first time because I think that Lucas Adams is a great actor and has an easy charm. And I just was hoping there would be more for him. But, you know, based on what he said to us, Lucas really took it in stride, especially since he has been through this before. Um, you know, he also returned recently to film Chapter 2 of Beyond Salem, which will air on Peacock. So this is not the last we will see of Trip. And now that we know that Stephanie and Joey have been cast in Beyond Salem and Trip goes to be with them in Seattle, uh, I believe it's a safe bet to assume we'll see the three of them together in the Peacock series. Uh, now, you mentioned Missy Reeves. She will not be back for this chapter of Jennifer's story. Katie McLean, who won an Emmy for the role, is returning as Jennifer, along with Matt, who will play out the aftermath of Abby's death. Now, GH is hosting a short-term return this week that I wanted to mention. Patrick Gibbons, who played wee little Sam Manning, Blair's adopted son on One Life to Live, who has popped up a few times on GH as Wyatt, will be reprising that role for a PC Pioneers camping excursion. Uh, I chatted with Patrick about his return, and he was so psyched to see several of his old Landview pals, Roger Howarth, ex-Todd, who plays Austin now, Michael Easton, ex-John McBain, who plays Finn now, and of course, the executive producer, of both shows, Frank Valentini. I felt my age acutely when Patrick told me that he is now five foot nine and about to go into his senior year of high school. Uh, but he sent me the sweetest pictures of himself, all smiles with Roger and with Michael, and that it, re you know, it really warmed my Landview loving heart to see that. 
Oh, mine too. I mean, there's nothing, you know, more incredible than seeing a child actor grow up, still be able to do the role and just seeing that evolution. But really, speaking of warming my heart, um, I cannot say enough about how excited I am about our guest today. So she's the reason I watch Soaps at All. It's Jeannie Francis, who plays General Hospital's Laura and just marked 45 years since her Port Charles debut. Uh, I couldn't be more thrilled to talk to her. So without further ado, let's just get her on the line. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Uh, well, it is certainly our pleasure. I know I could speak for Mara. Um, if I had to make a list of who our dream podcast guests are, you would be number one because I can say on the podcast that you are the reason I watch soaps. So <laughs> I got even into this job. So it's very exciting. Thank you. All right, so we're going to start at the beginning. Your father, Igor, was an actor who, in addition to many Broadway credits, lent his talents to the radio soap Ma Perkins, and your mother, Rosemary, was an actor and a model. So when you developed your own interest in performing, was that encouraged, or did their own experiences with the business make them feel cautious about you pursuing an acting career? I think that my father was really interested in me going forward with an acting career. When I, when I was little, he, he really worked to get me into the commercial uh, business. Um, I, I wasn't commercial enough. I had a pretty face and horrific teeth and the two things just didn't go together. It was like, Oh no, that's so wrong. It (laughs) didn't work at all. Um, so I unfortunately was not commercial and I had to wait until my teeth were fixed. Um, but somewhere around the time that I was, I guess I want to say in the sixth grade, uh, yeah, I'd say around the sixth grade, I, I got bit by the bug and really felt strongly that I, I wanted to be an actor. Um, I was very uh, jealous of the other kids who got to be on TV. I used to watch the Brady Bunch and think, well, I could do that. I could do that part. Um, and uh, I became very determined to follow in my father's footsteps. My father got recognized wherever we went, he signed his autograph. And I was very impressed by all of that and wanted to do that. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. uh, So I didn't experience her career. It's only till very recently that she shared some of her uh, credits with me and her her young life, which was very successful, a very interesting, fun young life. Well, what do you remember about landing your first, you know, television job as a skateboarding bully named Alice who trash-talked Christy McNichol on the primetime series Family. I remember that I went in and I did my reading and I knew I nailed it. And uh, they asked me before I was leaving, do you know how to ride a skateboard? And I knew to lie. (laughs) (laughs) So I lied and I went home and I took my brother's skateboard and I skateboarded from Friday night until late Sunday night, all weekend long, so that I could learn how to, because I knew they were going to call me. And they did. I got (laughs) a call, I think it was on Monday, that that I had gotten the job. But I was a very passionate, strong little kid. It's interesting. Now I look back on it, um, I think about that unwavering confidence that I had, that knowingness that I had. And I wish I had half of that now, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Something about that, that, uh, the ignorance of ignorance is bliss or you know that feeling yeah 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 Mm -hmm. well it was the following year in 1977 that you beat out a score of other aspiring young actresses to land the role of laura on gh at a pivotal time in the show's history so it was not long after you debuted that gloria monte was hired as executive producer and set out to save the show which was on the verge of cancellation by courting a younger audience and shifting its storyline focus to younger players So suddenly, Laura became a far more prominent part of the canvas, which was something that you welcomed. So tell us what you remember about that shift. I was very excited to have gotten the job. I remember that uh, I found out, they they took their time about, you know, I waited a long time and I thought that I didn't get the job, actually. And when they finally let me know, I was in algebra class and somebody came in with a message because my mom said, I'll send you a message in school if you get the part. And I didn't hear by, I was supposed to hear by lunch. I didn't hear. So I thought I didn't get the job. I'm in fifth period algebra and somebody walks in with this note and I'm like, it's for me. It's for me. I know it's for me. <laughs> and, and it was, my teacher read it and she got this big smile and she called me up and gave me the note. And I said, can I please go tell Elise 
And Elise was my best friend. She's, I still, we still uh, are in touch. And um, she let me go down to, uh, I think she was in English class and she let me go down and tell Elise. That's amazing. Oh All those kids in your class, I'm sure later on were like, we were in class when she found out she got the job. How many people dined out on that story? That's well, right. Can I tell you something? I was not a popular kid. I was very much a wallflower, very much keeping to myself. And so I doubt that anyone in that class actually knew. Um, I was sort of like, I was very afraid at that age. It was the seventh, what grade was I? Eighth grade. It was eighth grade, I think. Uh, anyways, I spent most of eighth grade on the service drive as a hall monitors, at least I were hall monitors, because I was very, very much shy. Neither one of us were adjusting well to middle school. So, um, yeah, I doubt anybody in the class knew what happened. That's so fascinating. <laughs> so you told me the story of Gloria taking you and your father to lunch and uh, explaining to him that he wa she wanted to make Laura more prominent and would that be okay with him and that you were sitting there going, please say yes, please say yes. Mm -hmm. so, tell us uh, you know, about handling the workload of that when it started to uptick and, and working with Gloria as closely as you did. It was extremely exciting. I loved every minute of it. The only time I faltered a bit was, first of all, I was just chomping at the bit to prove myself. I wanted to show people what I had inside me. I, it was bursting to come out. Um, and uh, so I was welcoming all of those opportunities. Um, I only faltered a little bit when they started doing a love story for um, Scotty and Laura. And I was very young. I think I might have been 15. Um, so, you know, I had not yet dated boys or done any of those things yet. And here I was doing it on TV. And I remember that was a one time where I started to have trouble with my lines and my mom and dad fought about it. My mom wanted to take me off the show. She felt this was not right for me. It was, I wasn't ready for it. Looking back on it, my mother was right. She was absolutely right. I didn't want to, uh, lose the job. I remember saying, I'll run away. I'll run away. <laughs> I was a little pale. <laughs> and, um, you know, and my father was uh, very much uh, in favor of me uh, staying there and doing the job and um, stepping up to the acting challenge. Um, so that's how it went. But I do remember my mom had a very tough time with it. She didn't want me. She, she knew that, it, that I wasn't ready to be doing that stuff on TV. Mm -hmm. Well, how would you describe your relationship with Gloria and what do you really remember most about her? Gloria was very good to me, very kind. Um, I think, you know, Gloria never had kids. So I think in a way I was like a, you know, she saw something of herself in me because I'm sure she was that passionate kid as well. Um, there was another kid on another soap that she was on before. I can't remember what show it was, but her name was Jada. Um, and sometimes Gloria would slip up and call me Jada. She only did it a couple of times. And I ran into Jada as an adult and I, and we talked about it briefly and we talked about our relationship with Gloria and I told her she slipped up and called me Jada a couple of times. Yeah. Gloria was an exciting person. I learned very, very important things about storytelling uh, from her about um, orchestrating a, per a performance and at a very young age, it's great to know that, you know, I've seen, I've worked with adult actresses later on in life who didn't know that, didn't know you had to orchestrate. Um, so she taught me about the scene within the scene, little, little um, other moments. And then back to this other bigger moment, uh, she talked about, um, you know, where is the crescendo in the scene? This is the most important part. Um, sometimes she'd address everybody. We did one episode a day then. So she would talk to everyone about today's episode. And today's episode is about one thing. It's about this. And everything else that's being said in any other scene needs to be moved quickly. We move through it because this episode is about that. That I think is a shame that we no longer have that perspective because now we're doing everything, you know, we're doing multiple shows per day. I don't have the full script. I don't even know what is that today's episode is about. I get a little packet. It's all very isolated. Often I can't tell, you know, what came first. Um, it can be confusing. So I missed that period of time when we treated one episode as a little play 
and we had long scenes where, you know, nine page scenes where you'd have the opportunity to completely use, lose yourself mm -hmm. in the material. That was exciting. So uh, obviously uh, your mother on the show, Denise Alexander, was an enormous star uh, as you came in. And uh, my goodness, does she ever speak highly of you. But tell us about uh, working with Denise and if any other actors come to mind as having had a particular influence on you uh, when you were beginning your career on the show. Denise, most profoundly, I don't know if anybody other than me can notice, um, she totally imprinted on me. When I see myself acting, sometimes I don't watch myself hardly ever. But when I see myself acting, sometimes I'm like, oh, my God, that's Denise. <laughs> I've stolen some of her readings, some of her mannerisms. Um, I just, she imprinted on me. Um, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, other than her, I would say Peter Hansen mm -hmm. had a big effect on me because he would actually talk to me about acting. So did Denise. But... Um, yeah, I would say he did, okay, who else? Rachel Ames. Mm -hmm. um, she also would talk about acting. And, um, and of course, there were such examples of um, ah, professionalism. There was a professionalism there, a respect for the theater. Um, everyone was coming out of that life. And there was just a, a grace about them and how we treat our fellow actor. Um, I don't think those things are present anymore. I don't, I know for sure some of these other young people don't, they don't all have that sense of, um, uh, grace and respect for other actors. They don't know that that's important, that when we step on the stage, we're entering a sacred place. This is the magic place. And there's a way to behave there and a way not to behave. Um, and I was raised with that. I was raised by an actor, two actors. So, you know, sometimes I wish that was present more today than I feel it is. It's mm -hmm. interesting. Um, now, you mentioned Laura's romance with Scotty, which was wildly popular. So what are your standout memories of working with a young Ken Schreiner? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ken. Oh, my God. I just love him. I, I loved him then. I love him now. He's just a delightful, sweet funny man. Um, he made my life very happy. Um, he took care of me in, in many ways. Um, we, he was my first boyfriend. We ended up falling in love with each other. He couldn't have been more kind, caring. Um, you know, he just looked after me. He really did. Um, I remember him trying to teach me how to roller skate, desperately trying to teach. I was not good on wheels. I couldn't do the skateboarding. I couldn't do <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do the roller skating. You know, we, we were roller skating, Scotty and Laura's, we did a remote where I was supposed to roller skate. Yeah, I think on your honeymoon. He's holding me up from behind. He's got <laughs> grabbed a hold of my, my t-shirt or whatever, and he's holding me up. Um, you know, and, and I remember some funny things where he would, he had more trouble holding onto his lines than I did. I had like this uh, something about a kid. There's, we don't have much else going on inside our heads when we're that age. And uh, so I just had, my, my lines were like a steel trap. I knew mine and yours. And I knew what page it was on. <laughs> so I don't now, by the way, not at all. Now I, I, I make mistakes now, which I never did then. Um, so Laura and Scotty got married in 1979, but her pull to Luke would ultimately be its undoing. What are your memories of, you know, working with Tony Geary during the first Luke and Laura arc? Okay, the first Luke and Laura arc, I remember being quite intimidated by him. Um, he worked in a way that was like, where are the rules, you know? Um, he would surprise me. We'd rehearse it one way, and then when we were taping it, he'd change it up entirely so that I was like, I didn't know where I was, that kind of a thing. Um, I was determined not to be crushed under the pressure. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was determined to meet him toe to toe and to be as strong as he was. Um, and, uh, and that was always there. And because of that, he made me a better actor. You know, I, I learned from him a great deal. Um, and I think there was an appreciation for each other. I was watching him so intently, so as not to be lost in the dust that that alone gave it uh, a charismatic uh, feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Well, so as we all know, the Luke and Laura storyline took off in unprecedented ways and your own celebrity took off in lockstep. So you've said before that you were about as ready for celebrity as you were to fly to the moon. But <laughs> can you describe what the experience actually felt like for you as a teenager, especially since you've described yourself as shy? Mm, mm-hmm. um, first rushes of knowing that I was famous. I remember standing on a street corner as a kid. I must have been... Maybe I was 15 or something like that. I had my bicycle and it was a day off and I was on the corner of Burbank Boulevard and Woodman at the gas station and in the San Bernardo Valley. And some car drove past me and they screamed and pointed at me. And I went, oh my God, they just recognized me. And I I had this feeling of, I have arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that funny? I, I, I remember it now. I mean... The thing about celebrity and about fame is that it is uh, not what we expect it to be, that it has many downsides to it. Um, it is, of course, very ego gratifying, but that, you know, puffing up our ego doesn't do anything for us ultimately. Um, that just, you know, puts a little, um, it gets us into trouble. I think when I've done best in life, when I've been in touch with, I've been humble and been in touch with um, my higher power and there's, you know, something a little bit more healthy going on there. I I mean, fame screws up adults. Fame Mm -hmm. screws up, you know, 50, 60 year old men who suddenly become famous. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, you know, you don't know about these things when you're a kid. Um, But I do remember the first time it happened to me, I thought, oh my God, I did it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make that happen because I saw it happening with my dad. I think I told you he's signing autographs. And then I made it happen to me. And I was <laughs> I felt very, very powerful. That's yeah. amazing. So that, uh, that era was so jam-packed in terms of story, um, story that's you know, held up as just infamous in the history and the canon of General Hospital, the left-handed boy, the ice princess, you know, going on the run, the wedding that 30 million people watched, you know, lots of being on location. Um, is there something from, from that era of storyline that stands out to you because it was particularly fun to do? Mm. Um, honestly, there was a lot of fun every day. Mm-hmm. I got to say, there was a lot of fun at that time. It was a very exciting time. Um, because we knew that we were involved in something groundbreaking. Gloria told us that. There would be, you know, uh, afternoon notes, because we did it like a little play, like a little um, uh, rep company. We would uh, sit at notes, and she would say, we are uh, changing the face of, of daytime. We are pioneers. Think how exciting that is to have be in a business where anybody sits you down and says, make no mistake, what we're doing is dangerous. We're crossing the line. We're reinventing the wheel here. And everybody just stepped up and got on, you know, the top of their game. Um, So I was no fool. Even at that very young age, I knew, I knew what was going on was very special. So like I said, every day was uh, very exciting. The fun times, of course, dancing in the department store. uh, It was a real department store, fun to wear that dress even, Um, flipping the wigs around on the um, mannequins. I mean, it was all fun. All the remotes were fun for me. I had a lot of fun doing them because it was sort of like guerrilla movie making. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a guy with a camera, who a shoulder camera, who's running after you and you're just ad-libbing your way through. Um, so I, I don't know. All I can say is there was a lot of fun. I remember one time in particular, uh, my father said to me when I got the job, he said, you can't forget your lines because he came from live TV and, you know, and we shot it as though it were live. Absolutely. We underdressed our clothes and tricked them with Velcro and we ran and changed clothes behind and came through the door. Everything was done as live. And um, I remember the day that Laura asked Monica for birth control pills and Leslie went up and the terror in her eyes and the sweat beads started to form and the terror that I felt of, oh my God, we're, we're now the, the scene. We're not on the, we're not on the page anymore. We're doing other stuff. And that was a very, you know, rise to the occasion moment because they don't stop. They'll just fry you like an egg back then. And, um, 
I just tried to stay with her and we tried to talk about what we knew. I responded to her. I listened to her. So I made it through and we got, I think, most of the pertinent information out in the scene. And when the scene ended, she cried, I cried, and we embraced each other because we had just been to war together. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and I remember going home to my mother that night and crying in her lap. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. So you think about, you know, show business kids nowadays, they don't know from that. You know? <laughs> they don't, you know, I cut my teeth on live television and that changes you. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. It really does. And I have a very kind, loving producer now. I love Frank Valentini a lot. And I said to him, I think I told him the story about how I was, my, my father said I couldn't make mistakes. And, yet, and, yet, and he listened and he listened and he listened. And then he looked at me and said, you can make mistakes now. Oh, Frank. I, just, I know. I cry. I cry when I think about that. He gave me permission to forget my lines and to make a mistake. And I think it made me a better actress because that tension, that holding on, you know, it, it, it's in the way of a good performance, you know? Mm -hmm. So I love him for that. I love him for many things. But I pray, yeah, you're crying too, right? Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody told you it was okay to make a mistake, you know? Um, but he, I love working for him. He's a really good guy. Um, well, you were 19 when you left GH, and at the time you talked about being tired and needing a break and so forth. But about 10 years later, you made the decision to start speaking publicly about what had really been going on for you and about some of the struggles that you've been grappling with at the time. You know, do you remember why you felt ready and willing to do that and be more candid and more vulnerable in those interviews after you had left? I felt I owed people an explanation. I was, I had so much guilt about how I disappointed so many people. When, when I left, my mom, my fan mail got delivered to my house, my mom's house, right? And there was three enormous gunny sacks that were dropped at my mother's home when I left the show. People pleading with me not to go. People sent um, tapes, little cassette tapes pleading with me not to leave. My mother sheltered me from a lot of it, but I felt so guilty, so guilty that I had uh, disappointed so many people. Um, so I guess, it, and I struggled with that guilt for a good 10 years or more, and I felt like I needed to come clean and make it clear to people that it wasn't um, what was going on with me, that I was in trouble emotionally, um, and the drugs were just something that was so prevalent in that environment at that time that I needed to get away. And, um, yeah, so I felt honestly that I owed people a response and explanation. Um, so after you did leave your, your next big role was as Tiger Hayes in the miniseries turned series, Bare Essence, which was the first time you worked opposite your now husband, the marvelous actor-director, Jonathan Frakes. Would the genie Francis who first met Jonathan have believed that you would marry him? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I mean, I liked him very much. Uh, the first thing we did, yeah, the first thing we did was that miniseries. And um, what I liked about him then is that he would tease me. And that everybody was kind of a little standoffish with me. Um, but he really just didn't care. He really just teased me the way, like, a, like a guy pulling the pigtails of a, of a little girl. And I loved that about him right away. There was a friendship there. Mm -hmm. uh, well, you two shared another big series, which was my favorite miniseries of all time, North and South. <laughs> so you played Brett, the sister of Patrick Swayze, the daughter of Gene Simmons. I mean, it was an amazing production. So what do you remember about getting the role? Uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember having to convince the network that I should have this job. And I actually, the producer who wanted me very badly dressed me up in the full, uh, outfit and hair and everything and the fan and everything and they put me on the set of um wheel of fortune or was it prices right i think it was prices right with the big wheel of prices going yeah down. yeah so they put me on that set and they had me read uh the part and it's weird to be on that set reading whatever but anyways i did that to convince the network that i could do the role 
And it was just, just a bizarre experience because <laughs> he put it on, he taped it rather than having me go to meet the network, which is just interesting. But um, I think he told me he did that because he wanted to make me up and fully present me as the Southern Belle before he, so they couldn't fight him on it. Did you spin the wheel while you were in such close proximity? No, I was actually, I found it very humiliating. I thought it was absurd to have asked me to do it. I mean, I, he, I trust him. He got me the role, but I thought it was a somewhat humiliating experience. I think I can understand that. Um, okay, so what a big production. I mean, Stephanie talks about this miniseries all the time to this day. Such a, so, you know, so packed with talent. Um, it's just a classic. What are your standout memories of being part of such a cast? Oh, it was an, a, a magical time. I loved it. Um, what I, we learned so much about the history of the time. And because we're there living it day to day and we had... Um, uh, I forget the name of that. There, there's a historian there and there's a word for it. I don't know what it is. But anyways, he was there to check everything that we were doing day to day in scenes to make sure that we were accurate. So I learned about, um, you know, I had to learn to ride side saddle. We had numerous lessons about dancing and how it would have been done in that day. And there were certain types of dances that we had to learn. Um, and just the way a woman would be in that arena and how she would speak. You know, she would have been told to keep her voice very nice and very soft. Um, and uh, I guess my best memory of that time was was uh, Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze was just amazing. He was an amazing man. And he was my my friend. His name was Buddy. Everybody called him Buddy. And, and he was my buddy. Um, he took care of me as well. You know, he really did. And I think probably one of the best scenes I've ever done in my life. I did with him, um, and uh, I probably still have a copy of it somewhere, but um, it's the scene I think I'm most proud of in, in my career. Mm. I One definitely have a copy of it. <laughs> I definitely have a copy of it. <laughs> yeah, it's the one where uh, she comes in and fighting to turn to marry Billy, and he slaps her. Oh, mm -hmm. I do remember that. Yeah. Um, now, we actually interviewed James Reed recently for the magazine, talked about how he met his wife there, how Leslie Ann Down met her husband there, you and Jonathan are still together. What was in the water on the set of North of the Boat? <laughs> well, it, it was that we were all at that age in life, right? We were all in our early 20s, and we were looking to, you know, find our partners, and we were um, on location for a year separated from our lives so of course we found each other <laughs> we weren't going home to see anybody else you know we were seeing each other and so yes a lot of romances began there and uh and most of them remain mm -hmm. it's just so wonderful uh, so a few years down the road from, from that project, you returned to daytime as Diana Colville on Days of Our Lives. Um, there, your main love interest was Drake Hogeston, who plays John. You also got to travel to Greece with your future General Hospital political rival, Wally Kurth, uh, who plays uh, Ned on General Hospital and is uh, Justin on Days as well. So what stands out to you about that job? Um... Well, I guess Drake, you know, I really enjoyed working with him and the focus there with him was always comedy. The focus with, with Diana was comedy, for sure. It was never super drama there and I loved it. Um, I particularly loved Arlene Sorkin, who used to coach me on how to be funny and she was good and I didn't want to disappoint her, I tell you. She once, I once, I have this scene, um, I think I put it on my reel, where I had to be on the phone pretending to be somebody else and I had to do a, a different kind of voice and she coached me on that and then when I did it she's actually in the scene and you can see her looking on felling you know the word felling she has so much pride her heart is bursting with pride because I was doing exactly what she told me and I was doing it <laughs> it's like this really wonderful clip where I can see her being proud of me <laughs> She's amazing. Yeah, great memory and a, and a great scene because, you know, she lost herself for a moment. <laughs> My star pupil. Yeah, that was a great, a great moment. And, and I have to say, Drake is a lovely human being. You know, he's just the nicest uh, 
living human <laughs> person. Couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Um, now, before your return to General Hospital in 1993, you went to New York and did theater and also played the very meaty role of Sierra Connor on All My Children. So she was a bad girl. She was an incest survivor. And I definitely remember feeling like that show showcased your abilities in a very meaningful way. So what did those years on All My Children mean to you? I love that show. I never wanted to leave it. I thought I was going to stay there forever. Um, I bought a home in uh, in Manhattan, and um, Felicia Menea Bear told me, "Oh yes, we want you. We want you for forever." Um, and uh, and then Tony Geary came back to General Hospital, and then the network got involved, and they just really didn't want me playing Sarah anymore. They wanted me to be over there you know, doing Laura again, because when it didn't work out with him as Bill Eckert, they needed to make him back into um, Luke, and they needed me to do that. So it was, you know, I was very, very angry with the network at that point, because I had found this great home. I loved being in New York City. The show, um, All My Children, they couldn't have been more supportive of my desire to learn and grow as an actress. They let me go work in the theater, you know, they let, let me, uh, I took a job in Williamstown and they had to let me out by a certain hour to, so I had to drive a couple hours to get to do that curtain. And they let me, you know, they really supported me in that. I was very lucky to have that. So I never wanted to leave that job. Plus I could go to the theater and watch everybody else do what they do. It was this tremendous learning experience. Um, so I, I just was just really upset when the network decided they were taking me off that show. Mm-hmm. So upset that I wouldn't do it for a year. I just, I just dug my heels in and I did not want to do it. Eventually, of course, I never really made the decision to do it, which is odd. Uh, it was very manipulative of them. Uh, they had me present an award. They wanted me to present something at the Emmys, which I did. And um, at that uh, thing, they announced my return. And it was like, what? What? It, I, I mean, I was a bit pushed into that. You know, I sort of wanted to work, but I was still very angry at how I had moved my life to New York City. I bought a home, you know. Um, I lost a lot of money when I sold it. It was like, it was just a very, very uh, tough thing. And it was all because they needed it to be Luke and Laura again. Uh, you know, and, you know, ultimately i I rolled and I did the Luke and Laura thing again, and I had a lot of fun doing it. But I was very angry about that transition. Um, I didn't do it quickly. <laughs> well, I understand where that anger came from, for sure. Yeah. Um, regarding all my children, that James Patrick Stewart, who plays Valentine on GH, but you first met when he was Will on All My Children, has told yeah. me, A, how sweet and thoughtful and nurturing you were to him as a young actor, and B, that he short cheated the bed and then fled from the <laughs> studio when you had to do a love scene with Jean Leclerc, who played Jeremy. Um, so is it fun to be working with him again, given all that history, as well as another All My Children alum, Michael E. Knight, who's now your brother on GH? Yes, I mean, these guys, it, it, let me tell you something. That show was a very special show. It was a very special group of people. There was lots of fun, lots of laughs, lots of hard work. It was very much, there was a lot of camaraderie there. Um, and I felt like, um, I just love that. I love that job so much. Um, yes, it's wonderful to be back with him and work with him again. Michael Knight, I adore Michael Knight, you know. Um, he's, th- both of these guys are such good actors. And, uh, you know, it's fun to work with good actors. You know, it's not work. It's fun. So in 2011, you made the move to CBS, joining the number one show as Genevieve. So tell us about your experience on Young and the Restless. Another really great experience. I love Peter Bergman. You know, I had Peter Bergman up on a pedestal. I was like, oh my God, it's Peter Bergman. He has more Emmys than I have shoes. And it's, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. And you go in his room, it's like, oh my God, they're all over the walls. He doesn't have little statues there, but he's got the plaques and they're everywhere. Um, So I felt, you know, a bit intimidated going to work with him because of his talent. So, you know, what did I do? I tried to bring my best game and my most professional self. And uh, that's a good thing. I liked being on that show. I really did. You know, uh, another, another great group of people. 
And the writing was really good. I thought one of the things that impressed me a lot about that show was the dialogue was uh, very good. The dialogue uh, held up well with anything else that I saw on TV. They, they had really released a lot of soap opera-isms of the need to say everything or to recap and name all the names, like I'm trying to tell the audience who everybody is. They released themselves from that responsibility, and they were just having people talk the way people talk. And I thought that was smart. It was also really fun to see you work with Tristan Rogers in such a different... Oh, right. Oh, geez, I totally yeah. forgot. Yeah, it was great because we, you know, when I left the show all those years ago, I think the next beat would have been a story with me and Tris. And, um, and I feel bad that I missed out on that. So I got to pick up a little bit of it over there on, on Young and the Rust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like an alternate universe of uh, <laughs> Robert and Laura. I learned some stuff about myself and, and a different part of myself by playing that part. Because uh, I played that part, like I love the show House. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Hugh Laurie played that character who just loved to really say things that would irritate the hell out of people. <laughs> and, and I just made that um, Genevieve. Yeah. And it was, you know, for somebody quiet and shy like me to suddenly play a role like that and uh, do it as an actress, you sort of learn it it, as a person. That's sort of whatever. Anyways, uh, that was a really great experience for me. I I, I loved it. Mm -hmm. It was good for us, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Right. You you did the circuit. You've been on every network. (laughs) I think I have, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Well, upon your return to GH, a lot had happened in the life of Laura, and a lot had happened in your own life, uh, namely both of you welcome children. Um, Now, with the passage of time, uh, with your own personal growth, how was your experience working on the show different when you came back in the 90s? Uh, Well, after I had kids, which I did not realize it was going to be like this, I actually asked, I went to Wendy Rich and I said, "I, I made a terrible mistake here. I'd like to be released from my contract. I didn't realize that, you know, when you have that first child, it rewrites you. It rewrites who you are. I didn't, I didn't know this, this new genie was not somebody who wanted to work. And um, I, really the greatest regret of my life is that I didn't just follow that instinct and just really put my foot down about it. She pleaded with me not to. Uh, she said, okay, how about this? I'll have you work just two mornings a week. You'll be in and out, you know, by 9.30 or 10. Um, and that's it. That's all you'll have to do. And so I acquiesced to that because I didn't want to disappoint them. And, you know, so I did it. But the bad part was that I, what I learned about that is that, you know, we're told as women we can do it all. We can have the baby. We can have the big career. We can, you know, be everything to everyone. We can't. That is bullshit. We can't. We, we need to pick and choose. We get very hard choices. Um, and all I can say about mine is that I wish I had taken those six years off. Mm-hmm. In my life, I, I wish that I had had the strength at that time to just take that time off. Because uh, you don't look back on your life and say, gee, I wish I'd done another few episodes of GH. You say, gee, I wish I'd been there more, more present for my children when they were tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it became very difficult to do what I was doing on the show uh, they were having me do more than one show in the first two hours of the morning. So it wasn't just that I had these few hours in the morning. It's the night before, which was epic amount of studying of material because now I was doing two shows in at once. So it wasn't that the, what it was presented as being, oh, it'll be a walk in the park. It was no walk in the park because it kept me as the lead. They just compacted it into these mornings and unfortunately i think it added to um you know jealousy has really been the most negative part of being me of being successful uh people's jealousy is painful you know if you think about it you don't really have to do anything they just hate you (laughs) they just hate you because you exist and that has always been very very hard for me to accept but i think it was even harder in, in on the cast because I had this special treatment going on. So I think there was even more resentment that built towards me. Um, you know, it's a shame. It's a shame because um, this time coming back to the show, I've worked hard to try to 
improve relationships and, and make friends with people because I don't want to be up here as the star of the show. I want to just be a worker among workers and I want to be friends and I want to hang out and that kind of thing. And um, I felt like I've had to fight for it. Um, and it hasn't been easy. Mm-hmm. It has not been easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, there's the people who I know really love me. There's kin, you know, there's, um, okay, there's too many to mention, but you know, you'd be surprised that to be the star of the show. I remember um, Susan Lucci, she was the star of her show, you know, and I think that there was love and support for her and respect for her, but she was a little bit separate. And, you know, you don't realize when you're young and what fame, that fame does that to you. You're going to be a little separate or a lot separate. And I didn't really want to be separate. I still don't. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I think you need to have life experience to even have the realization that maybe there are some things you can do to help break down that wall of separation that you never asked for, as, as you're saying, you know? Yes. Very interesting. But yeah. I mean, your experience was so unique in that no one else was on the cover of People. No one else was, you know, like today people will still say, or Luke and Laura on. I mean, this is... <laughs> So many years after your debut that you're so iconic with the genre and synonymous with the show that I wonder if there was anything you even could have done to make that um, better. I think it's hard because no matter how talented and wonderful these people are in, in, uh, in our show today, um, none of them are going to be mainstream in the way that I was. And I think that just sometimes that just feels so incredibly unfair. Mm-hmm. And I don't blame them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, nevertheless, I'm sorry. I was really successful. So <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of you being incredibly successful, in 2007, you won an Emmy. What did it mean to you to be sitting in that audience and hear your name called? Oh, yeah, it was an out-of-body experience, let me tell you. But mostly, because I told you I'm shy, mostly I, I really, really wanted to win, but I was terrified to have to go up there in front of everybody and talk. So there's this, this battle going on inside you of, oh, God, I'm going to have to go talk. And, oh, God, I really want to win. Um, and I'm sitting <laughs> with my little girl. She was only about nine years old. And I was sitting there holding her hand, and they announced my name. And I looked over, and I went, and I think they handed me the Emmy, too. <laughs> and I looked over at her and I didn't know what to do. And I stood up and the wing, the Emmy has wings kind of, and the wing of the Emmy scraped her arm and I turned right away and I'm like, are you okay? And she looked at me and she went, go! Because <laughs> <laughs> I stopped to talk to her. Instead of running to the stage the way I, I guess I was supposed to have done. Uh, but I'll never forget her little face. Go! <laughs> It's amazing. Um, Well, there are a bunch of storyline threads involving Laura at the moment that we want to get your take on. So let's start with the presence of Victor Cassadine, who Laura suspects is not only up to no good, where their mutual family members are concerned, but she and Anna both believe is responsible for Luke's murder. So tell us how you've approached playing the dynamic between Laura and Victor. I guess my approach has been to fill in the blanks with my imagination of who he was and what my relationship with him was like during the time that I was incarcerated on the island, Mm -hmm. just to give myself something to hang on to. Because uh, sometimes with bad guys, particularly, well, really anywhere on television, it tends to be very black and white, and that just gets really boring. So um, I try to give it something else or, you know, make it different from my relationship with Cyrus, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, so that's the kind of thing that I do is I use my imagination to hopefully create some kind of a relationship that I walk in with something. I have to say, when you look askance at someone like a Victor or a Cyrus, it's just one of my favorite things in the world. I just love, yeah, <laughs> I love, I love that kind of look from Laura. It's just so wonderful. And I, I so love seeing you and Finola Hughes in scenes together. I hope we get to see more. And I know she hopes we get to see more as well. Oh, good. You know what? I love working with her. I really do. She's really, really good. And uh, she shares everything. You know, she's one of those people that one of those actors who really um, is doing the dance. She relies on 
the shared experience. Um, not everybody does, by the way. And it's, I don't like working with those people who don't because it's a very lonely experience. Um, but she, she works, uh, she works that way. And for me, that's just so much fun. Tony Geary works that way. Um, uh, so does um, Maurice Bernard, who works that way, you know? Well, at the moment, we're only, we're only seeing one of Laura's children. That is Nicholas, played by Marcus Coloma. Um, so first of all, tell us about your relationship with Marcus. And are you someone, like, would you rather have more of Laura's children in town? Do you miss not, like, Lucky and Lulu not being there? Mm -hmm. um, I love playing a mom. I also love playing a grandma. I, they didn't really give me a whole lot to do with Marcus. Marcus did, has done most of his work with Maura. Um, I'm very happy when I do get it. I think we did a block of scenes together before, about this time last year, before I left for my vacation. Um, he's a lovely young man, and he works hard. He works very hard. Um, so I like that about him. And, um, you know, we have, uh, I think, you know, created a nice uh, dyna dynamic there. Um, and I would sure love to see Laura's other kids around. And I love having the grandkids around because I like young kids. I just like them, you know, um, particularly teenage kids. I love them. They're so much fun to be around. They're so funny. <laughs> they really are. And they're so excited when they learn something new or you give them a little pat on the back, they need it. And it, and that feels good to be able to give that. Mm -hmm. but, um, I enjoy all of that. I don't have any issues about being a grandma whatsoever. It's funny though, because the kids pay, playing my grandkids are most of them are the same age as my kids. But that's the soap opera way, Jeannie. It's the soap opera way. Yes, it is. Yeah. Now we've seen, um, which I'm so so happy about, the Laura and Elizabeth relationship uh, spotlighted during Liz's, you know, ongoing mental health crisis. So I'm curious to hear uh, what you have to say about working with Rebecca Herbst, who you began working with when she was not much older than you were when she started. Oh, sorry, when you started on the show. Yes. She is another one that I have a really great chemistry with, one of the women that I have great chemistry with. And there's a lot of love there, not just between Laura and Elizabeth, but between Jeannie and Becky. I, I love Rebecca Herbst. She's just a, a really, really good um, woman. Um, and she also works the way um, my favorite people work. She completely shares what's going on. So it's delightful and surprisingly easy to work with her and find that with, with the really good actors. I think she's solid. I don't think she even knows how talented she is because she's a very humble girl. But, um, you know, when she started playing this part with the, uh, the mental illness, she, she was a little bit like, well, I don't know. I've felt her struggling a little bit in rehearsal, like not sure about it. And then when she committed to it and she did it, it was so cool because, you know, I've seen her all my life. But I looked at her and I tell you, her face changed. She was visually different. She took, she embodied a very different uh, energy. And it, I, it, it was something I'd never seen before. And she looked different to me. Like, I don't know that, Becky. I don't know that. And, um, and I said to her afterwards, I said, you know something, you don't even know how talented you are. And she was like, oh, Jeannie. I'm like, yes, <laughs> you don't even know. Because she thought this was something that maybe wasn't going to work. And I'm like, you have no idea. This is so good you're doing this. And um, so I look forward to seeing her do more of it. Mm -hmm. Me too. Well, Laura's happily married these days to Dr. Kevin Collins, played by John Lindstrom. So tell us about working with John, who recently told us what a dear friend of his you've become. Aw, how sweet. John is great. You know, he's a really good guy and he's really talented. I wish that I got to work with him more. They really don't bring him in, or maybe they're showing him in other parts of his, Kevin's life, but we don't get a whole lot together, you know? Um, I think the audience is sometimes disappointed about that, but it could be that they're looking to take his character in a different direction. And sometimes when they want to do that, they won't play the couple that much. Um, if that's the case, I'm going to miss him. But, uh, but I look forward to, uh, you know, whatever. There'll be lots of drama, I'm sure. And I, I enjoy that working with him that way. I like that he ad-libs and uh, surprises me from time to time. He always makes me laugh. You know, so it's the scene often uh, plays differently than when I read it. Uh, mm -hmm. 
because of what he brings to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, well, we know that the uh, special 15,000th episode of General Hospital, which is slated to air on Monday, June 20th, we are crossing our fingers for no more preemptions, uh, that it pivots around Laura and a challenge to her mayoral administration and that we will see the community rally behind her. So what, uh, what was your experience like of filming that episode with such an amazing number attached to that script? Uh, uh, well, to be honest, I felt very honored that they focused on my character for this. I felt like, uh, I felt really proud, to be honest. I felt really proud. I loved the day. I've done harder days. You'd think, you know, if they're following my character throughout, that it would be a really tough day. It wasn't. It wasn't. I've done much harder days where I've done multiple episodes, but it was a lot of fun. And um, like I said, I felt, uh, I felt proud. I think it was, um, it was quite a, uh, an honor to have been selected to be focused on for that particular episode. Well, Dan and Chris uh, told me that it was a no-brainer, that to them, you were the heart of the show, and it only made sense uh, to, to make it a, a Laura-centric show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm, still, I'm still, you know feel very humbled by it. Mm -hmm. um, anything that you've always wanted to do in a, in a role that you've never gotten to do? Storyline you've always wanted to play maybe? Storyline. I've done so many storylines. I think what I haven't gotten to do is an actual, I've done an actual comedy in a play, but that's what I really love. Love, love, love. Um, I would love to have a storyline with Maurice Bernard where I really had a story with him. Um, and that's like, you know, focusing on an actor who I just love working with. Um, so there's that, but, um, and it wouldn't have to be romance. You know what I mean? Just something where they were involved in something together. Um, so on my show, I guess that's, that's an actor I would love to spend some more time with. Um, and you know, if I had something that I would like to do, I would like to do an absolute comedy, full blown comedy. I love making people laugh. Um, it's one of my greatest joys. So, I'm curious about something. I was talking with Maurice uh, just a few months ago, and uh, we were talking about some lovely scenes that had just taken place between Sonny and Laura. And he said, he said, to be honest with you, I was so just intimidated by Jeannie for so, so, so long. And it was only until recently, well, from your reaction, I think I might know your answer, but I was curious to know if you'd perceived like a shift in Maurice's demeanor toward you, where he said he kind of basically got out of his own head and felt, you know, able to just be more comfortable with you. Not really about him, not about you, if you will. Right. Yes. Well, no, I wasn't aware that any of that was going on with him. He's always treated me with the utmost respect. Um, you know, I just feel lucky every day that I, every scene I get with him, I look forward to. Because, you know, there's certain actors where just showing up and looking in their eyes, you know you're okay. I had that with Tony Geary. No matter what was going on the scene, no matter what doubts I had, uh, whatever anxiety I had about doing the scene, um, when I looked into Tony's eyes, I knew everything was fine. I knew I was okay. And I was carried. I was carried really by his energy. Felt safe. That maybe that's the word. Incredibly safe in his gaze. And I have that with Maurice. I just have this sort of comfort, this um, uh, comfort looking mm -hmm. into his eyes. I just float through my scenes with him, and I, um, that's special. Wonderfully, you marked your 45th anniversary with General Hospital earlier this year. Um, I think it means so much to the GH audience to get to continue to follow Laura's journey, not to mention, uh, it means a lot to me, um, but to watch her evolution over the years into such a fully realized woman who survived so much and thrives so well, owns her power, including the title of mayor. Um, but what does it mean to you to be marking your 45th anniversary with the show? Oh, my goodness. Um, I, I'm, you know, I didn't realize that it was 45 years. I, I actually didn't do the math on that. Um, it's got to be in the book of Guinness Records somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't know how long, what the longest running soap character is. Um, of course, I wasn't there for all of those years, but uh, me playing that role scans, uh, spans 45 years, but there was another Laura before me. Mm -hmm. So the character of Laura has been there for 
you know, perhaps even another five, 10 years. Pretty remarkable. And just one of the truly special things about uh, this genre where such a thing can be possible. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it really, really is. Um, It is with such a heavy heart that we're going to let you go spend the rest of your day without us because I could talk to you for so many hours more, but this has been such a joy. Thank you. It's been really fun for me as well. Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time and for sharing all of your stories. I'm so excited that I got to hear every one of them. (laughs) And thank you just on a personal note for being with General Hospital for all these years. (laughs) I'm not kidding when I say I would not be at this job if I had not been a fan of Laura's and yours. So thank you. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me. And hope to see you for many more years to come. I hope so too. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Jeannie Francis for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.